We are continuing a message series called The Chance of a Lifetime. And what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus' description of life in his kingdom from the most famous sermon he ever gave, which, was, which has been named the Sermon on the Mount. So we're digging into that. But last week, what I tried to do is paint a picture of kind of what was going on in in the world at the time, in the culture, and how Jesus stepped into um, Israel at a time when it was under Roman occupation. And then um, he began to do things. He began to teach things that were amazing. He began to do things. Things would happen around him that began to create a buzz in the culture that this might be the one who's going to lead us as a nation of Israel to victory. So there's, you know, all kinds of stuff started happening. He started really blessing people because he's God. And so what he did as the frenzy began to build is he took his core disciples, his core followers, up on a mountain, and he sat them down, and he began to describe to them exactly what it meant to be a part of his kingdom. And, and most of the people of the day got it wrong. They thought he was going to come, overthrow the government, set up an, an actual kingdom on earth. But his kingdom right now is a spiritual kingdom. His kingdom exists currently on earth anyway, and in the hearts of men and women who've given their lives to him. The kingdom of God is the rule of God in the hearts of men and women. Someday he's going to wrap up our history. He's going to bring the kingdom in and we're going to see it. We're going to be able to touch it. We're going to see him. We're going to experience uh, what it's like for him to be in complete reign of everything that's going on. And in his glory. But until that day, we're sort of in between times. And so Jesus starts describing to his followers, these folks who had decided to follow him, what it was going to be like to follow, to be in his kingdom, to be a kingdom citizen of his. He started the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at this last week. He started it by looking at the character of his followers. So like, who is he going to make you into if you decide to follow Christ? What's that going to be like? And he describes these character qualities that are polar opposite of the ones that we normally natively go for. You know, they were just polar opposites. Um, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We tend to value things that are high in spirit. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn. We don't think that way. Blessed are those who party is kind of what we think. So anyway, you get the sense. You can read Matthew 5, first several Verses And you, you understand, this kingdom of his, it's an upside-down kingdom. So if you look at the, the program, if you look at the graphic for the series, when you walk through the door to decide to follow Jesus, everything's upside-down. It's all backwards. Jesus started with, a, with character, the character of his people and who he's going to make you into, because that's where it starts. You give your, your life to Christ. You turn your heart over to him, and he begins to change you from the inside out. And he, he begins to help you on the inside to change so that what shows up on the outside is different, your words and actions. And last week, we looked at how he wants us to view and approach relationships differently, and that, that starts in our heart. 
and then it shows up in the way we handle life and relationships. Here's the thing about this week. Jesus is answering a question. He goes from there to the, from the character to another question. Something else he's, he's explaining how he's going to rule and reign and how he's going to move his kingdom forward and how it's going to spread through the world. In fact, that's the question. How is my kingdom going to spread throughout the entire world? Because he's not just concerned about these little group of followers here. He, he's concerned about the entire world getting in touch with who he is, with God his Father, and the love that God has for them. So he came to earth to show the entire world his love, and so he begins to tell them his plan for spreading the kingdom through the world. And we have uh, companies today who they have something they want you to buy, and they, they come up with elaborate strategies. They spend a lot of time and a lot of money on trying to figure out how can I let people know what's going on here with our product and how great it is so they'll be willing to pay the price for the product. Um, in fact, in 2013, Walmart spent $690 million to draw people into their stores. That, that was actually a lower figure. Ford spent $857 million on advertising and exceeded sales expectation in the first quarter by $35 billion. So it paid off for them. Geico spent $921 million, and they're about to overtake Allstate as number two. So we have companies who they sit and they think, how are we going to take over the United States with our product? How are we going to take over the auto industry? How are we going to, how are we going to move this thing forward? How are we going to explain how great our product is so people will pay the price for it? Well, what Jesus was trying to do is very different than that. He, he was actually, uh, it, it's, not, it's not that he's trying to sell a product. He's not trying to sell anything. But people who decide to follow him have to pay a high price for that. They have to decide to pay a price to follow him. So his question related to, how am I going to motivate people who aren't following me to begin to want to follow me? How am I going to do that? And there's the answer. Christ's followers are Jesus' plan for spreading his kingdom. If you're a follower of Christ, we're it. <laughs> we are the plan. This is, Jesus put all his eggs in the basket of those early followers. And he counted on them to begin to spread the message, and to motivate people who weren't following to begin to follow. Now, some churches have some really cool marketing stuff, and they do a great job at attracting people to their church. We advertise ourselves. We want to let people know that we're here. But it's the people in the church who are going to enhance and explain the message of Jesus and it's their character that's going to motivate people to follow or not. And so we're his plan. We're his strategy. Followers of Christ are his, his way of spreading the message of the kingdom throughout the world. Uh, and this happens, Jesus tells us in this next passage we're looking at today in the Sermon on the Mount. 
He tells us that he changes us. He changes his followers into salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 through 15 says this, You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So Jesus uses a couple of metaphors to describe his strategy here. How, how is this going to spread? And his strategy can be summed up in the two words, salt and light. That's it. That's his strategy. Think about what salt does. And actually, we're the salt and light. Those of us who follow Christ, we're it. Now, think about what salt does. It makes people thirsty. It spices things up, enhances the flavor. It, it makes them taste better, and it, it's a preservative. And Jesus is saying that he wants his followers to live a life that makes people thirsty to know him, to know more about him, and to know more about God the Father. He wants us to carry out conversations in a gracious way that adds salt to those conversations that makes people thirsty to talk about more. He wants our conversations to be salty so that people want to hear his message. They want to understand it. He wants us to live in a way that slows down the decay in our culture, and he wants us to be active in helping with that. And he basically wants our lifestyle to show people that following Jesus makes life better. This, this is our role here. We're his plan. <laughs> he's, he's counting on us for this. He also commands followers, he, or he uses the metaphor of light. Now, light illuminates. It draws people toward it like the searchlights that draw people to an event or to a store or something. Um, so Jesus basically wants us to live a life that helps people see the truth about Jesus, because you and I know there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. But he wants us to live in a way that turns the lights on to the truth about Jesus and draws people to follow him as well. He wants us to shine his light in very dark places. He, he wants us to turn the lights on so that people are attracted to him. And and what he does is he takes, he takes us, his followers, and he, he gets us out of the salt shaker. He spreads us all over the place. And he wants us to be making a difference wherever we're at. That's, that's what he wants. These days, companies do commercials that pop up as you cruise the Internet. Now, here's one I've heard about because it involves a friend of mine and probably a friend of, of yours, Joel Berry. But this one pops up on the Internet in, in the midst of cruising the Internet, these things kind of pop up. And if it's effective, it grabs your attention. So watch this with me. With millions of businesses all in one place, the YP app can help you do pretty much anything. Unless you wanted to go to the moon. YP couldn't help you do that. Or could it? We'll need a space helmet. YP can do that. We'll need parts. YP has the highest rated hardware stores. We'll need a solid background in aeronautical engineering. We'll need power tools. YP's great for that. 
wife, he even has a cheap gas finder, which is perfect for longer trips. The even more powerful, find, organize, and share your favorite businesses so much more than a search engine yellow pages. YP can do that. Now, what they were doing there, I thought I'd show that because I, I get a kick out of that. You know, on my Facebook page pops up, hey, there's Joel, this hat, whatever. Um, he's, he's a member of our congregation, leads groups and leads, leads in different areas. Um, but anyway, the goal of that ad, what they were trying to do is they were, people don't understand the usefulness of their app. So they're trying to show how you can use it, why it's good, why it helps. This is the same role that God gives us. We're, we're to show why it's good to follow Jesus Christ. This, this is, this is, what we do. We're it. We're like the yellow pages ad <laughs> that Jesus uses. In terms of spreading the kingdom, Christ followers have a key role. And what we do is we show the value of knowing Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ. We show the difference he makes in the midst of living life. In our family, with our friends, at work, in our neighborhoods and on and on, wherever we are, wherever he's shaken us out of the salt shaker, wherever he's put us in the world, he's using us. Uh, he wants to use us to, to make a difference. Now, we don't start out as salt and light. You know, we, we, when you decide to follow Christ, what happens is he begins to change you. He begins to change you from the inside out. That's why he started with character. That's the way it happens. We don't start out as salt and light, but he wants to make us into it. And as you read the Sermon on the Mount that we're walking through, and you may have read it this week, I encourage you to uh, last week, you may have read it a couple times, uh, but he paints the picture of a person who will be salt and light if they follow him and if they let him begin to redo them, remake them into another kind of person. This, the kind of person who will be salt and light is described there. It's a person who handles anger the right way, and when they don't, which we don't sometimes, sometimes we implode, sometimes we explode with anger. When we handle it wrong, we make it right. Jesus describes this here. This, this, is, so, this is different. This, this, is, this is salt and light. Uh, someone who refuses to use people as objects, but treats them with dignity and value. This is, this is salt and light. It's not what normally happens in the world. People who keep their word. When they say yes to something, you know they're going to do it. You can count on them. A man or woman who shows God's love to people, even their enemies, that's different. Boy, that's not normal. That's really different. Generous people are salt and light. Those who don't give and do things out of guilt. They don't do the religious stuff out of guilt, but they do it out of a love for God. That's different. That, that, that shines out there. And people begin to understand, there, there's something really to this Jesus thing. They start to be drawn toward him. People have the right perspective on money. And they give and use it for God's purposes in ways that please him. Makes a difference. 
Now, God changes us into these people, these salt and light kind of people. He spreads us all over, all over this area. This is where we live. Sometimes he sends us to other parts of the world to to make a difference. But he's changing us. And and the primary ways that he changes, changes us is that we get into the Bible and we let him change the way we think and the way we approach life, we sort of line up with his thinking, his thoughts. And then we connect with a group of followers who are going to be salt and light to us and remind us of who we are, and they sort of pull us along. So this is how it happens. We, we need to plug into those things, get into those things and grow and, and ask God to turn us into salt and light that would please him. Now, being salt and light, these are not just nice metaphors that Jesus used. He actually, the next thing he says, the next thing he does in this message, this sermon on the mount, is he gives a command. And in fact, he says, being salt and light is a high priority for Christ's followers. In the same way, he says, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is a command. To Jesus followers. So it's not optional. If you're, if you're following Christ, we're to make it a high priority as we live our day and as we relate to the people around us to be salt and light. This, this is important to God. It's crucial to him. And so this is what we want to do. Um, since we're his strategy <laughs> to reach and change the world, we have a duty to constantly think about what kind of impact are we making here? Is it positive, negative? Are we enhancing the flavor of this conversation? Or is it getting a little stale? Have we lost our saltiness? The way you keep your saltiness, the way you continue to be the, a light that's helpful to people to shine a light on who Jesus is, is you stay connected to him. Get into his word. You stay connected to his followers who can encourage you to do those things. The challenge in our culture is that Christians are misunderstood more and more. It's the challenge. And we're always on display. You know, I mean, if, you, if you've identified with Christ at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, with your friends, you're always on display. So they're, they're checking it out. And, and this can be a problem, particularly because the media and the basic environment in which we live is so anti-Christian these days. Um, there is a gross misunderstanding about what a Christian is, what Christianity is, or what it should be. And we live in a culture that's becoming more and more opposed to Christianity. In fact, um, we started the church here 27 years ago, and... Most of those 27 years, I've been invited to go pray at city council meetings. And then one year, about 10 years ago, I got a letter that said that uh, there was a law that was passed in California. You cannot use sectarian, you cannot pray sectarian prayers in a public place. And so I called back and I said, I, I just would, I'm going to respectfully decline to pray at the city council meeting because uh, basically it's a waste of time for me to pray to somebody just a nebulous 
being out there. My, I serve Jesus Christ, and I, if I'm going to pray, I want to pray through him. They were like, okay, that's fine. I wouldn't expect a Buddhist to pray through Jesus Christ. I wouldn't expect a Hindu to pray to my God. And so it, it just didn't make any sense to me. Well, the mayor called. And uh, he said, hey, look, uh, he's a friend of mine. Our kids were in Little League at the same time. And uh, he said, look, go ahead. It's okay. You can go ahead and use Jesus' name. So for the last, I don't know, nine, ten years, I've been praying, just sort of waiting for the tomatoes to fly and waiting. You know, you, you go up there, and it's, it's formal anyway, and you're praying up in front of a bunch of people you don't know. It's kind of an intimate thing, you know, you're up there praying and I just, I pray and then I kind of like, okay, no, I didn't, I don't really slink off, but in my mind, I'm wondering, okay, what's going to happen next? You know, how's this going to go? And I told the mayor, I said, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and pray and I'll, I'll try to be respectful about using Jesus name. And I, I use Jesus name, but I say, I pray in the name of my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, I just asked him to visit me in jail if I end up there. That was my only request. If, if you could just check on me every once in a while, that'd be great. Well, this week I, I show up this Tuesday. This is why I'm talking about this. This is just off the, hot off the press. This week I show up and there's there's a big guy there. There's actually a group of people from Walnut Valley Water District and it was like re- report of the city, state of the city day or something. I don't know, but there are a whole bunch of people. They must have had to give a report or they were trying to get a decision to go their way. And there's a really big guy that was just tall man, big guy. He was friendly. He was introducing, hey, I'm from the water district, whatever. And he's saying, hey, we'll take care of you, whatever. And I'm going, wow, I've never seen him before. That's interesting. And so I prayed. He was sitting right behind me. I prayed. And after I was done praying, he said, amen. And I Halfway out, I got halfway out because I start walking as soon as I pray. I start heading for the door, and I thought, oh, that felt good. That was encouraging. You know, I really appreciate the big amen. You know, that was awesome. I have no idea what the big amen has to do with what I'm talking about, other than the fact that he, he actually was being salt and light in the way he was relating to people, and he identified with me. In that moment, as he said, amen. Now, amen may not be your style. I'm not saying every time you give a big amen, amen. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But in that moment, he identified with Christ and it encouraged me. And so that's the key thought is to realize wherever you're at, God's sprinkled you all over. Identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and live a life that brings honor to him because there's an incredible amount of misunderstanding about who he is and what he does with a person's life when they decide to follow him. In fact, the, the early followers that Jesus was talking to on that mountain, they were going to face a lot of confusion, a tremendous amount of animosity and even persecution for their faith. Jesus prepared them for this. And we're, we're heading toward that same kind of environment, not as intense persecution, but um, there's a musician you probably heard of, Tom Petty, you know, free-falling fame. This is what he said in an article I read in the last week or so. 
No one's got Christ more wrong than the Christians. This is, this is a common thought. And what he was doing is he was looking at all the stuff that's going wrong in Christian denominations and different groups of Christians. And he's saying, boy, they don't, they don't get it. And, you know, we don't always get it right. Sometimes Christians get it wrong. But many people share this attitude because of the hypocrisy of Christians themselves, because of the hypocrisy of churches, entire denominations, and the way they handle things that go on. And, and so this is what we're up against. Our, our role as followers of Christ is not to be perfect. God is perfect. We're deeply flawed. We know this. We actually understand this from the Bible. The Bible never says you become a Christian, and I'm going to make you a perfect person. What it does says, look at the passage again, if you would. Um, it's, it commands us, could you, could you go to the next screen? It commands us to be light, to just be different, to just start wherever you are and become a person who's salt and light to those around you. God's the only perfect person. And as people see flaws, if they're looking for flaws, they can see flaws, plenty of flaws. But actually, the definition of a hypocrite means I'm pretending to be somebody I'm not. If you really want to make an impact, be real. I'm following Jesus. I don't do it perfectly. He's changing me. I'm not changed. He's forgiven me. And that's why I'm motivated to begin to change. That's what I'm trying to do. There's a lot of misunderstanding out there of what it means to follow Christ and who Christians are, even what it means to be salt and light. Jesus is calling us to be real and to show people how to follow Christ for real and what it really means. Now, you may battle fear like I do. When I set out to be salt and light, when I try to help people understand this, um, you and I, we aren't perfect, and it can be overwhelming to be on display. You know, you don't put a lamp on a, on a, under, under a, behind a couch, you put it on a stand so it can be seen. It can be overwhelming. God doesn't expect perfection, just that we let him keep changing us through life and what we're doing as we get into scriptures. Christians being real followers is Jesus' plan. For spreading his kingdom. Not perfect followers, just real. Really letting people know what you're dealing with and what you're struggling with and watch them grow. If people have known you before Christ, as they see you begin to change, they'll be drawn to him. Just you, you don't have to be perfect, they just see the difference. You're starting to live upside down and it looks really good because it turns out for your best as you follow Jesus this way. I'd like to show you some some quotes from uh, members of Church in the Valley who have decided to follow Christ as adults. And I asked them to answer this question. How did the way Christians live and relate draw you to Christ? How was that? Here are some of the answers. The way that Christians live an honest and open life, believe in clearing relationships and asking and giving forgiveness, was very refreshing and comforting when I was exploring Christianity. It's from Brianna from the Alhambra campus. 
it really struck me how much more gracious in speech Christians were and how much relationships benefited from that verbal kindness. Greg Fuller here, this campus. I noticed many Christians living for a greater purpose than their own comfort or happiness. Hovey you, guy at the Alhambra campus. <clears throat> what really drew me to Christ was when I saw the members of CIV putting God's will before their own personal interests, I witnessed this attitude expressed time and time again by members giving of themselves to help others, and I felt a genuine sense of community that I'd never found elsewhere. Tom Young. I was inspired, Carlene Eaton says, our Kids Zone director, I was inspired how, how they, Christians, were choosing to live differently based on their knowledge of who they were to God relying on his strength to make them different, and doing it because they knew that Jesus took their place on that cross. It helped me realize that Jesus took my place too. I never felt judged, and so it made it easier and easier to open up and share where I was, because even after I did, as scary as that was, I never felt judged. Brenda Palmer. To fulfill Jesus' command, we need to get real. And we need to get uh, close to people who don't know Christ. We need to be close. We need to be in contact with salt. You know, you have to pour it on whatever it is for it to make a difference. There has to be contact. And so we need to get specific and start thinking about the people around us. And how can I take real steps to begin to be salt and light to the people that God's put in our life? And that, that the people that we're in their life, that he's put us there. Um, Jesus' sermon here is built on the assumption that we're different, that we're becoming different, that we're changing, and he wants us to be different. And so we keep asking God to change us. But there's a, there's a handout in your program I'd like you to pull out, a half sheet of paper in your program I'd like you to pull out. And you'll notice on there that there, is, um, there are three grids, my family and friends, my workplace or neighborhood and um, my uh, my workplace and my neighborhood. There are three grids, those, those three. Um, what I'd like you to do is take this with you and begin to think through who is around me? Who has God put around me? For instance, in your neighborhood, you're, you're in the center, center of the grid, the center square. Who are the eight neighbors around me that I can begin to relate to? You may not even know their name. If you don't know their name, ask God to help you get in touch with them. How how can you relate to them in a way that would be salt and light? Maybe somebody's hurting right now. You know they lost their job. You can get them a, a, a gift card to the grocery store. Or maybe there's an elderly lady that you could take out her trash or trim her trees. Or maybe there's some ways that you could serve. That's what Jesus would do. He'd serve. He loved people that way. And so at work, he's put you at your work. You know, who's in the cubicles around you? At my work, everybody's a Christian. Um, but there are people who work in offices around us there. How can I get to know them? How can I relate to them? How can I begin to be friendly and show uh, kindness to the, the folks around me? Um, in my family and among my friends, I'm in the center. I want to ask you to take this with you this week. One of the next steps is going to be to take this with you and ask uh, God to, as you write the names in, you may not have them all filled in. That's okay. 
but ask God to show you, how can I be salt and light to the people around me? At work, in my neighborhood, and in my family, and among my friends. How, how can I be? How, maybe it's to invite them. Maybe there's a kindness that you can show. Maybe you can change the way you talk to them. Or, or you know, the conversations can be different. What is it? That can change. Maybe you need to make a relationship right with somebody. There's a, there's a fracture, and you need to get that straightened out. How can I be salt and light to the people around me? If you're a follower of Christ, you're his plan. <laughs> Wherever you are, you're a major part of his strategy. This gives a tremendous amount of purpose to life. Boy, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's meaningful. You don't just go to work to do work. You go to work representing Jesus Christ, your king. You don't just exist in your family to be the way you always have been. But you're, you're, you're going to try to do this differently by the power and grace of God to make a difference in the lives of the people around. I'd like to wrap up the message today by asking you to think through your next steps. Uh, as the band comes up... Um, I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out your connection card and finish completing anything on that that you haven't had a chance to, that you'd like to, or let us know about one of these next steps um, of of following Christ. The first one would be to memorize Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Just a reminder, this is the command. This is what God wants me to do with my days. He wants me to be salt and light. Um, another step would be to pray every day that God would make me salt and light among my family and friends, at work, in my neighborhood. Um, and then the final step would be take, take these My World Grids and fill out at least one of them this week. Take one of them. Fill in names. Ask God to help you begin to see opportunities for being salt and light to the people in your world. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your kindness, your love, your grace that you poured out to us. And I pray that you'd help us to pour that out to other people, that you'd help us to become more and more salt and light, that, that really uh, helps others to understand who you really are and what you really do in the lives of those who follow you. Help us with this, I pray, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.